In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 20, starting from verse 27. The events of this day happened on Tuesday, three days before his crucifixion. After the Lord entered Jerusalem on Hosanna Sunday, and cleansed the temple on Monday, so on Tuesday spent all the day teaching in the temple. And they tried to challenge the Lord Jesus Christ with some questions. The first question, they challenged him about by, why, by what authority you are doing this. So this actually was the first challenge in the chapter. When they questioned him, by what authority, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who, who is he who gave you this authority? But the Lord actually, yeah, I can say, turned the table against them, and he told them uh, the baptism of John was from heaven or, or from earth, and they told him, we don't know, so he told them, and I will also not answer you. Then the second question, they challenged him by, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And in their mind, it is lose-lose situation. Because if he said, pay the taxes to Caesar, people, people will turn against Jesus because he is supporting the Roman Empire. And if he told them, don't pay the taxes, then the Roman Empire will turn against Jesus because he's turning the people against the Roman Empire. But again, the Lord wisely told them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So now we come to the third, third question, a challenge. As we read in verse 27, then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, came to him and asked him. And they made a story like a scenario. But let us first see who are the Sadducees. Uh, and by the way, this is the only occasion related in the Gospel where our Lord comes in direct conflict with the Sadducees. Most of the conflict was the priests, the high priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers. But this was the only event uh, that was recorded to us in the four Gospels that the Lord came into direct confrontation with the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? They were a very small group, but very wealthy and very powerful sect. And they were a religious party. And most of this party was composed of the high priests or the chief priests. So they are powerful uh, religiously because all of them are high priests. And also uh, they were very wealthy. They, they were very influential in the society. And they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, but the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Also, in the Old Testament, they did not observe except the five books of Moses. They did not observe the rest of the Old Testament, only the five books of Moses. But the Pharisees believed in the whole Old Testament, besides also in the oral tradition. So the Sadducees counted also among their supporters the wealthy people and the aristocracy. So they were supported by the highest class in Israel. And they were the main opponents of the Pharisees. So these two sects or parties were against each other. So what are what is the scenario that they give to our Lord Jesus Christ? They told him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And this actually was true. According to the law, a man was forbidden to marry his brother's wife. So, if his brother dies, he cannot marry the widow of his brother. If she had borne children to his brother. The only exception to this rule, if this widow did not uh, bear any children to his brother. So if the brother died without children, without an heir, in that case, it was his closest kins, kin, kinsman's obligation to marry the widow and give his deceased brother an heir. And this happened with Ruth, because Ruth, her husband, died and she didn't have uh, children. So the first kinsman refused and the second one was Boaz and he married her. Uh, so the Sadducees here proposed an extreme hypothetical case of a woman who married seven times in turn to seven brothers. So they made up this story just actually to challenge the Lord Jesus Christ on the dogma of the resurrection of the dead. So that's the story. They made it up. Now there were seven brothers. And the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife and he died childless. Then the third took her and in like manner the seven also. And they left no children and died. So... The last of all, the woman died also. So where is the question here? Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Uh, so they hoped to show that the idea of resurrection was nonsense. If the Lord did not have answer to this question, then 
they actually will challenge the, the dogma of resurrection. So at the conclusion of their story, they ask it, whose wife she will be in the resurrection? This question about the husband of the sevenfold widow was one of the materialistic objections to the resurrection, which had been often uh, discussed in Jewish schools. So when the Sadducees tried to teach their children against the resurrection, they used to give them the, this story to tell them, then there is no resurrection. And if Jesus had given the answer which satisfied the Pharisees that the woman would be the wife of the first husband, that's what the Pharisees believes. They would have gained a great triumph by their question. So the Pharisees will feel that they won against the Sadducees. But of course, this is a wrong answer. So this question is not merely theoretical. There will be many in heaven who have had more than one spouse for any number of reasons. In our life, we see how, uh, for example, uh, a husband dies and then his widow marry another one. So this situation, also I said in the beginning, is hypothetical, but in reality, when we go to heaven, we will find many widows who married more than one time. Actually, St. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he encouraged young widows to marry and, and to uh, bear children. So, Jesus, in his answer, told us that jealousy and rejection will have no place in heaven. So, uh, these husbands will not be jealous of each other. But also, he instructed them in reverse order, meaning he told them that they don't understand the resurrection, nor do they understand Moses. They believed in the five books of Moses, but they thought about the resurrection in a materialistic way. In verse 34, Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age on earth marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. So this assumption that you made is actually a false one because in heaven there is no marriage. Then he told them, nor can they die anymore. In heaven there is no death, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And here the Lord mentioned three things. They are sons of God, they are sons of resurrection, and they will be equal to the angels. And as we'll see, the Sadducees also did not believe in angels. That's why the Lord took this opportunity to teach them about the angels. So the Lord reminded them that life in resurrection is quite different from this life here on earth. 
He told them, in earth they marry and given in marriage, but in heaven, no. It does not merely continue this world, the age to come, it's not a continuation of this world and its arrangement. It is life of a completely different order. It is eternal, where they will no longer be in need to produce more generations of the living. Why? Because they don't die. As the Lord told them, they will not die. Nor can they die anymore. So, because they don't die anymore, they don't need to reproduce children. So, there is no longer any need of marriage. Marriage is temporary here on earth, appropriate to preserve the human race, to which death would soon put an end. All of us, one day, will die. So if there is no marriage and no reproduction, then the human race will end. So marriage is needed here. But in the world to come, there will be no death and no marriage. Also, the Lord reminded them that life in heaven is eternal and share some characteristics of the existence that the angels now experience we will be equal to the angels. For example, angels don't die. That's why he said, neither can they die anymore. And this actually teaching, you find it only in St. Luke. And he said, equal with angels in spirituality, purity, immortality, no death, no marriage. Also, they will be called sons of God and sons of resurrection. These are titles not given to angel, sons of resurrection, sons of God. These two titles are not given to, angel, to angels. Angels here are introduced because our Lord was speaking with Sadducees who denied the existence of the angels as it is written in Acts Chapter 23, verse 8, that Sadducees do not believe in the existence of angels. Angels have a body so perfect, spiritual body, that they are subject neither to the law of marriage nor to the law of death. Then actually, the Lord Jesus Christ continued to prove his point on their failure to understand the scripture, when actually uh, this will, will, will um, when he will ask them about what David prophesied about the Messiah, that the Messiah is the son of David, but also he is the Lord of David. So the Lord want to tell them, you claim that you understand the scripture, but you don't understand the scripture at all. As I told you, they believe only in the five books of Moses. So the Lord actually used the five books of Moses to prove to them the resurrection. And he told them in verse 37, but even Moses showed in the burning bush passage, 
in the book of Exodus, that the dead are raised. When he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. So the Lord told them, you know the book of Exodus, you know when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not God of dead, but God of living. And by the time of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. Then how God will say, I'm God of living about people who are physically dead, unless they are raised. So the Sadducees set aside the authority of the prophets and all the sacred books of the Old Testament except the five books of Moses. They believe in them. So Jesus argued with them and demonstrated to them the reality of the resurrection using only the five books of Moses. Because if you used the prophets, for example, they tell him, no, we don't believe in the books of the prophets. So Moses was clear and definite in his teaching on the resurrection. Uh, although they pretended, as Moses did not speak about resurrection, or they did not understand the scripture. So the Lord referred to what God told Moses to tell the children of Israel concerning the identity of God. When God sent Moses to liberate the people from Egypt, to the promised land. And you can find the story of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And these two verses, I am God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not God of dead, but God of living, in verse 15 and 16. Uh, and of course, you know that the burning bush did not burn up. God would never have called himself God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, if these patriarchs, after their short lives, had come, blend dust, they died, and that's it. There is no resurrection. Why we call them patriarch? Patri means father. As you say, zoxa, patri. Ark means first. So, patriarch, the first father. So, we call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they are the first fathers or the head fathers of Israel, we call them patriarchs, mean the head fathers or the first fathers of Israel. God cannot be God of a being who did not exist or who does not exist, God of dead. For all left to him. Again, these words are very peculiar to St. Luke, not mentioned in any other gospel. And they are, for all left to him, these words are of great value to all of us. Because our life depends on our relationship to God. We live to him and in him and by him. We live to him means everything we do should be for his glory. As St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether eating or drinking or anything else, do it all for the glory of God. So, 
When God reveals himself as the God of those who passed away from earth, he witnessed that his relationship with these people will continue, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning, they are not dead, but still living unto him. Which is a proof of resurrection. So Jesus has shown that Sadducees do not understand the meaning of the resurrected life. Because they thought about it in a materialistic way. They will marry. But no, there is no marriage, there is no eating, there is no drinking. Uh, Also, he proved to them that they don't understand the Torah of Moses. The five books in which they believe only. And these five books, especially the book of Exodus, have evidence for belief in resurrection. Sadducees, who believed that they were the authoritative interpreters of the five books of Moses, and also they were the shepherds of Israel, Israel must have been highly insulted when the Lord actually showed them and proved to them that they don't understand the meaning of resurrection and they are ignorant of the books of Moses. They don't understand it. But who became happy with this answer? The scribes, because the scribes believe in the resurrection. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. So the scribes, and most of whom are Pharisees, believed in the resurrection. And I told you they are opponent to the Sadducees. So they saw clearly the great wisdom and the spiritual depth of the reply of the Lord. So some of them, although all of them, I'm sure they rejoiced because they believe in the resurrection, but only some of them would have the honesty to express their approval to the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth will always offend some, but others will value it. Sadducees are astonished at the authority of Jesus' teaching and his ability to defeat them. Unlike the religious leaders who refused to acknowledge Jesus' authority, the crowds, people who attended, continued to respond favorably to his teaching. In this chapter, as I told you, they challenged the Lord Jesus Christ with three questions. But the Lord also challenged them with two questions. The first question was about the stone that was rejected by the builders became the chief cornerstone. And they understand this stone refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, And the builders are the religious leaders of Israel, and it was rejected by them, but he became the cornerstone. Cornerstone, two walls actually are supported by the cornerstone. And the two walls are the Jews and the Gentiles who became Christian. The two become one. So now in verse 41, we will see the second question that the Lord will challenge the uh, religious leaders with this stone. The first question, it was in verse, in verse 17, when he told them the stone 
which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's the first question that the Lord used to challenge them. Second question, verse 41, and he said to them, How can they say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? One of the titles of the Messiah, he is the son of David. But David, now David himself, said in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my my right hand. And all of them, they know that Psalm 110 is about the Messiah. So the Lord asked them, Till I make your enemies your footstool. So therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So he wants to prove to them the incarnation. Yes, he is Lord of David because he existed from eternity to eternity. He is the creator of David. But in the fullness of time, the son took flesh and became man, and he was born according to the flesh from the seed of David. So according to the flesh, he is the son of David. But he existed from eternity to eternity, and he is the creator of David, so he is the Lord of David. So after successfully dealing with the three questions of his adversary, Jesus now asked them a question as if he's telling them, do you really know who I am? Jesus tested their notion that they already knew about the Messiah. They already knew the Messiah is the son of David. He asked them to consider that they may not know everything about the Messiah and may have something to learn, something new to learn. Lately, in a form of parables, when he spoke about the parable of the wicked vine dresser, Jesus had told the people that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. For example, in this parable of the wicked vine dresser, uh, and also in another parable, the minus, and when he entered the temple and he cast out the sellers and buyers, allowed the children to shout Hosanna, which is a messianic greeting, and he received welcome and greeting from the Passover pilgrims. Uh, All these events on Hosanna Sunday, when he entered to Jerusalem, he proved to the people that he is the Messiah. He acted as the Messiah. And in some of these parables, like wicked vine dressers, he clearly predicted that that he is approaching violent death. When he said in this parable, the vine dressers said, this is the heir, let us kill him, and took him outside the vineyard and killed him. So now Jesus was aware that the charge which would be brought against him would be blasphemy because he is claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, So, and actually, when they tried the Lord Jesus Christ, the charges against him that he blasphemed, he called himself Son of God. So, he was eager before his crucifixion 
to show from acknowledge messianic psalm which is psalm 110 that if he was the messiah and unquestionably a large proportion of the people received him as the messiah he was also divine so the messiah is not a human being only he is god who became man and the words of psalm 110 indisputably show the coming messiah is divine the lord has said has said to my lord so he pointed out to them that this was the doctrine taught in their own inscribed inspired scriptures in the old testament in the book of psalm psalm 110 david said about the messiah not only that he is his seed but also he is his lord his divine he god became man so when jesus said i am the son of god he is not blaspheming he is saying the truth so he quotes psalm 110 verse 1 jesus noted that king david called messiah his lord this means that the messiah is not only son of david but also the lord of david son of david which is a popular messianic title according to the flesh but he is the creator and the lord of david we read in revelation chapter 22 verse 16 beautiful description he is the root and offspring of david root the origin the creator of david offspring he came from his seed the future king that david writes about in psalm 110 is the one that archangel gabriel spoke of who will not only inherit the throne of david his father but as he said to saint mary but rule over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will have no end so archangel david uh, sorry archangel gabriel when he announced saint mary the birth of jesus he told her he will inherit the throne of david his father saying jesus is the son of david but also his kingdom shall have no no end then he is god and saint peter made the same argument in act 2 from verse 25 to 34 that jesus is the son of david and the lord of david so here the lord demonstrated that they cannot correctly interpret the scripture although they are the religious leaders of israel but they don't understand the scripture their failure in responding to jesus counter questions he asked them two questions and they failed to answer the one about the stone rejected by the builders and the one about the messiah son and lord of david this implied that the religious leader can no longer teach the law with authority they don't understand the law they don't they, they have no experience of the knowledge of the law for the second time on this day they had brought to themselves great shame by publicly confessing their ignorance respecting matters of primary importance like the messiah who is he the first time was when they did not know whether the baptist his baptism from heaven or from earth 
and they could not answer a word uh, to this very simple question about John the Baptist. Also, they did not answer a word regarding the stone rejected by the builders. Also, they did not answer here the question about the Messiah, how he is the Lord of David and how he is the seed of David. Then the last three verses of this chapter. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. Now he is directing his teaching to the disciples. Beware of the scribes. After he exposed them, after he exposed their ignorance, and they cannot teach anymore the law with authority, he told the disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, showing off, love greetings in market in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. So, the Lord here condemned the scribes for their hypocrisy. And in the same gospel in chapter 11, there is another condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees. St. Matthew actually follows the great denunciation of the Sanhedrin authority with other rabbis, Pharisees, public teachers, and leaders of the public. Actually, this condemnation, woe to you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites, took a whole chapter, chapter 23 from the Gospel of Matthew. But here St. Luke just mentioned a brief for this condemnation. Why? He summarized a whole chapter in two or three verses. Because St. Luke sent his gospel to the Gentiles, to Theophilus. So these details are not quite interesting to the Gentile readers because they don't deal with the scribes and the Pharisees. That's why he summarized a whole chapter in three verses. St. Cyril of Alexandria says in their description, what was their custom? They walked in the streets beautifully clothed, dragging with them a pompous dignity to catch the praises of those who saw them. So they were showing off, arrogant. They chose the best seats. They demanded a special benefit of status and privilege. But on the other side, they were merciless. That's why in verse 47, the Lord said, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, not out of spirituality, for a pretense. These will receive greater condemnation. These will receive greater condemnation. So, widows were especially vulnerable, especially if they did not have any living sons to support them. Because at that time, women did not work. So they rely on their husbands or their children. If their husband died and they are widows and they have no sons, so they have no support. Uh, so the scribes here pretended to help the widows and instead used their position of trust to take from them. For example, if they inherited a land, 
So the scribe tells them, we will actually uh, take this land to invest it for you. Then they took it for themselves. That's why the Lord said, they devoured the houses of the widows. Or they received gifts from these widows with false promises and mismanaged the gifts. Tell them, give us your talents, your money, we'll invest it for you. And then they mismanage uh, the, the gifts. So here the Lord proclaims that the judgment of these merciless and heartless acts against the poor will be severe. That's why the Lord said, these will receive greater condemnation, greater condemnation because of their merciless and heartless acts against the poor. Also, what does it mean for a pretense make long prayers? So the scribes thought they were more spiritual because of their long prayers. So in the synagogues, when they pray, they make long prayers. So the people say, wow, these people are, uh, are very spiritual. But in their houses, with their homes, maybe they don't pray at all. And long prayer to cover their wickedness, pretending great devotion, spirituality. Sincerely of Alexandria made a comment on this and said, the Savior of all did not permit his worshippers to act so shamefully like the scribes. He said, when you pray, do not babble as the heathen do. They think that they will be heard for their many words. He commanded them to be humble and not lovers of boasting. He commanded them not to pay any regard to the desire of empty glory, vainglory, but rather to seek the honor that comes from above from God. In such ways, he deposits the knowledge of his mystery. You know, in the story, in the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector, the Pharisee actually made a long prayer. And this long prayer was about himself. I pray, I fast twice a week, I pay a tithe, I'm not like the, uh, the tax collector and the publicans. He made a long prayer. But the tax collector made a very short prayer. God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Six words. And who went his home justified? The tax collector. It's not how long your prayer is, but it's the quality of your prayer. God See, that's why St. Paul said five words of understanding is better than 10,000 words without understanding. I'm not saying this against longer prayer. If you can pray with quality, this is wonderful. The, the Bible teaches us to pray without ceasing. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But if you are making longer prayer for a pretense, meaning to pretend that you are spiritual, to get praise from people? No, this will be rejected by God. And if you want to examine yourself whether your long prayers are true or not, ask yourself how long your prayer is in your inner room when nobody sees you. That's a really challenge. Anyone can pray in public long prayer. 
because these prayers are feeded on vainglory. But when you go into your inner room and pray for long, then it's a sincere prayer. Saint Arsenius used to pray from sunset to sunrise alone. Nobody saw him. This was actually his tradition to do vigil on Sunday. So the scribes represent a complete contrast to the picture of how a true disciple of Jesus Christ should live as a servant, as a child, as one carrying a cross. That's a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, we should notice what they do. Observe, beware of the scribes. Don't do like them, as well as what they say. And especially that we should notice their destiny. They will receive great condemnation. Again, Sincere of Alexandria comments, the passions of the scribes were the love of vainglory and the love of gain, love of money. The disciples of Jesus Christ should avoid these hateful crimes. Jesus warned the disciples to keep them free from disgraceful faults. This actually concludes chapter 20 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.